Okay, so we're reading passages from Deuteronomy chapter 17 and 18, uh, starting at Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you, who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself, or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left hand, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Then we move into chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the days of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak in a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Thanks, Francis. Let's pray for God's wisdom and help as we look at this passage together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that all of it points us to the Lord Jesus for salvation, is able to make us wise to live as your people. Lord, please give us understanding by your spirit, and please work it through this part of your word to point us to the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You know, uh, we long for good leaders, right? Uh, given the last few months, it hardly seems worth saying, but it's true. We want leaders who are just and fair, who tell the truth, who keep their promises. We want leaders who aren't driven by their own motives and agendas, who are courageous enough to tell the truth to power and stand up for what's right. We want leaders who love the Lord and care for people. And that's not just in the world of politics, right? We want leaders in every part of life. 
We want just judges who will judge fairly and punish those who deserve it. We want religious leaders who truly teach God's word and lead God's people with courage and integrity. We want bosses who are fair and kind. We want school principals who lead with integrity and care for our kids. We long for good leaders. And if you listen to all the campaigning of the last few months, you might end up thinking to yourself, if we can just get good leaders, everything will work itself out. Crime would be solved, the economy would flourish, the housing crisis resolved, people cared for. So how do we find good leaders? And what does it look like when they lead well? You know, these aren't just our questions, not just modern day questions. These are the questions behind these chapters of Deuteronomy 2. Remember, the people, they're just about to go into the land that God promised them. This rich and beautiful land. And Moses sits them down and he tells them how they're to live as God's people in the land that he's giving them. He's laying out for them this good life that God is giving them. A loving life with the living God. And as God's people, they're supposed to live different. To live holy lives that reflect the character of the God who rescued them from Egypt. They should also be led different. See, Moses, he's about to die. He's been the leader. They're going to need good leaders. Leaders for every aspect of life together. They're going to need just judges and good kings and faithful priests and true prophets. And so Moses lays out for them in these chapters of Deuteronomy how these leaders are to lead. And it's actually pretty simple. Moses shows us that God's people need good leaders who love the Lord, obey his law, and reflect his holiness. But these aren't just guidelines for God's people then. They're actually helpful for us now as we long for good leaders. You see, these, these laws, they show us how futile it is for us to trust in human leaders to solve all our problems. And these laws, they're going to point us to one leader who we can truly put our hope in. So let's dive in. Moses starts with guidelines for a just judge. Moses starts by laying down the law for judges in chapter 16, verse 18. Let me encourage you as we go, follow along in your own Bible or one of the pew Bibles if you need to. Chapter 16, verse 18. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. You shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice, and only justice, you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And this all seems to make sense, right? The judges that they appoint should follow justice as their highest goal. They should be fair, not play favourites or take bribes. They should judge with righteous judgement. Basically, these judges are to reflect the character of the God who rescued his people out of Egypt. He is a just God, a righteous God, a God who shows no favourites but always judges with perfect justice. 
The judges of God's people would be like that. And they should be firm, but they should be fair. Moses gives them an example in the next few verses of how in a case of false worship. Remember, God's people are to worship God alone in the way that he chooses. That's what the first and second commandments are about. No other gods and no images. To break this is a serious crime. So what should the judges do if someone breaks this command? Well, they don't just rush in. You'll see if you glance at chapter 17, verse 4, that they should investigate. Make due inquiry. Verse 6 says it should include two or three witnesses. One person isn't enough. And if the accusation is true, they should take the person outside the gates and stone them to death. Now this might seem like a harsh penalty, but this is a very serious crime. They've committed treason against the Lord, the one who rescued his people. They've broken the covenant, their relationship with him. It's like they've committed adultery against him. It's a serious thing. And it puts the whole community in danger. For the sake of all, the judges must carry out this penalty. It's measured, but it's firm. They don't rush into it, they're careful. But they don't mess about with sin either. And for the hard cases, the judges can go to a central place that God chose and the judges and priests will consult there and declare their decision. All this sounds great, right? But the reality for Israel was far from this ideal. When they went into the land, it seems they did appoint judges in their towns and many probably did judge justly. But the people turned away from the Lord and didn't follow his commands. They got into this cycle of worshipping other gods and then in judgment the nations around them would rule over them and then they would cry out to God to send judges to rescue them. And these judges were a mixed lot. Guys like Samson, who were greedy and violent and lustful. Many of these judges did not rule justly. Later, the kings would take on this role of judge, but many of those kings took advantage of the people. Israel needed just judges, but they were hoping in human leaders, and they were sure to be disappointed. But this points us forward to a better judge, right? One who's perfectly righteous, one who always rules with perfect justice, who never takes a bribe or shows favourites, who will one day judge all people who've ever lived. And that's Jesus, God's own son. When he came 2,000 years ago, he came not to condemn the world, but to save all those who trust in him. That's John 3.17. He suffered and died the death that we deserve because of our rebellion against God, so that through faith in him we can be forgiven. He took the judgment that we deserve. But that's not actually the end of the story. You see, he also said in John 5.22 that God the Father had given all judgment into his hands. Jesus is a perfectly righteous judge. His first coming was to save, but in his second coming, he will judge as, come as the judge of the living and the dead, the one that all of us will stand before. 
That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. See, Jesus is a judge who is worth putting our hope in. In this life, we'll see all sorts of injustice. Secret crimes that people get away with. Juvenile crime that that gets not much more than a slap on the wrist. Others punished way beyond what they deserve. Innocents punished for crimes that they didn't commit. This world is full of injustice. But there's hope. See, the truth is that no one will ultimately get away with anything. Justice will finally be done. All sin will be justly punished, whether through Jesus' death in our place or eternal punishment for those who don't trust in him. No human leader can fill this hope for justice. But Jesus, God's own son, is the just judge who will set all things right. Which brings us to our second category of belief. The people don't just need a just judge, they need a good king. Moses knows that eventually the people will ask for a king. And that's okay, actually God anticipates it. In fact, God says that they must appoint the king that he will choose. This king should be an Israelite. Not a foreigner who might lead them after other gods, but someone who can lead them to be faithful to the Lord. He should also be wholehearted in his love for and trust in the Lord. That's what's behind verses 16 and 17 of Deuteronomy 17. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt to acquire many horses since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself lest his heart turn away nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. He's not supposed to get heaps of horses. He's not to assemble a mighty army to trust in or conquer the world. Remember, they're to trust the Lord to fight for them. He's especially not to go back to Egypt where God rescued them from to get heaps of horses. They would be going back to slavery. They would be trusting in the ones that God rescued them from. He's not to collect wives or excessive riches which will turn his heart away from trusting and loving the Lord. Now if you're thinking of Solomon here, that's the right track. We'll come back to him in a minute. Moses also says that the king is meant to be under God's law. He's meant to know it and to obey it. That's really strange for the ancient world. Then, in most places, if you were the king, you were the Lord. In Egypt, you were even considered to be a god. The king was the highest authority. But it's different in Israel. The king is under God's law. He's supposed to know it inside and out. Look in verse 18. When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so he may continue long in his kingdom, he and all his children in Israel. Do you see why the king is supposed to know the law? 
It's how he learns to fear the Lord. Not the kind of fear that causes him to turn away from God in terror, but the kind of fear, the true fear, that leads to loving and worshipping and obeying the Lord wholeheartedly. Also, so that he learns his place. So his heart isn't lifted up above his brothers, but he remembers that they are both God's people by grace, under God's law together. And so that he obeys God's commands. And if he does, he'll know God's blessing. That's how this covenant works. He'll continue long in his kingdom, he and his children. So how did this one go for Israel? We could pick one king as an example. We did that in the kids' talk, David's own son Solomon. You can read about him in 1 Kings. After David, he really is the height of Israel's kings. But how does he stack up? We have no record of him making himself a copy of the law. What we do have is record that he had an army of more than 12,000 horsemen, that he imported thousands of horses from, you guess it, Egypt. He married hundreds of foreign wives. He was one of the richest men in the ancient world. He set up altars and shrines to all sorts of other gods for his wives. He totally failed the Deuteronomy king test. And the kings after Solomon get worse. Many of them get much worse. They don't love God wholeheartedly or obey his law. They lead God's people astray. There are bright spots here and there, but they're the exception that proved the rule. The kings of Israel failed miserably. So what happened to God's promise? God had promised King David that one of his descendants would rule on, on the throne forever. The Psalms were expecting this great Israelite king who would rule over all the whole earth. And yet because of their rebellion against God, they're conquered in, by Babylon and carried off into exile. It seems like God's promise has failed. Until God provides the good king, the promised king. Jesus, remember, Christ isn't Jesus' last name, it's his title. He is the anointed one, the promised king that God's people have been waiting for. The good king who knows and who lives out God's law perfectly. As God's own son, he even sits the people down to declare and explain the law and what it looks like to live as his people. He loves God with a wholehearted love. He doesn't have riches or wives. He even gives up his own life to suffer and die on behalf of his people. And he's raised from the dead as the risen, victorious king. The one who's defeated even sin and death. To him has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And one day he will return to establish his reign forever. We get frustrated with our leaders, right? We long for a leader who can come and set things right. But in Jesus we have a guarantee that that will happen. Not with any human leader or government. Not Liberal or Labor or Greens or One Nation or Independent. They will always disappoint. If we put in our hope in them, we will always be let down. Our hope must be in the Lord Jesus, God's promised King. The only truly good King. We need His Kingdom to come. Now in our lives and those around us, and ultimately, when he returns to set all things right. 
But that's not all. The people also need a faithful priest. We're more than halfway now. We skipped this passage when we read it earlier for the sake of time, but it's still important. Moses lays out provision for how the priests are to be cared for. You see, the the tribe of Levi that the priests come from, they won't receive land for their inheritance like all the rest of Israel does. They will live in cities amongst the other tribes. They're spread out so that they can do their job of teaching God's law to all God's people. And they will travel in shifts to that central place to fulfil their duties at the temple. And so how will they live? Look in verse 1. The Levitical priests, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance, as he promised them. See, God himself is going to provide for the Levites through the offerings of his people. And the people are to do this because God has chosen Levi to stand and minister before the Lord in the temple. Not only do they act as teachers, but they're priests, mediators, go-betweens between God and his people representing the people to God by offering sacrifice and representing God to the people by proclaiming the law. They mediate between God and his people. And so it's fitting that the people should look after them. But there's a, a little bit more going on here than just how Israel is to look after the priests. That's important. But this also says something about how the priests should live themselves. They're to be wholehearted and faithful in their love for the Lord. They might think that they get the raw end of the deal, but that's not true. God himself is their inheritance. He's no second prize. The land and all its blessings are only good because they come from him. He is the source of all good. The source of real life. That means that these faithful priests will depend on the Lord. They will love him wholeheartedly. They'll serve him and serve his people faithfully. They'll teach the Lord truly and they'll obey it. They won't take advantage of the people or their position. They'll be faithful in all they do. That's what a faithful priest is meant to be. But that's not what the people got. Sure, many of the priests probably served faithfully, but then there were others like Hophni and Phinehas who were corrupt. They were Eli's sons. They would take the best parts of the offerings for themselves, even though they were the bits that weren't entitled to them. They would sleep with the women working at the tabernacle. They used the people for their own gain without any fear of the Lord. Israel had other unfaithful priests, Priests who didn't love God wholeheartedly, who didn't obey God's law. Priests who introduced worship of foreign gods into the Lord's own temple. Priests who even condemned God's own son to death when he threatened their positions of power and influence. God's people needed a faithful priest. Someone to truly represent them before God and represent God to them. But even the good priests were sinners. No one is perfect, and even the good priests had to offer sacrifices for their own sin. They needed something better. They needed a truly faithful priest. 
And that's what we have in Jesus. Surprise, surprise. A truly faithful high priest. That's what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, that has hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. Jesus is our high priest, one who can truly represent us to God because he has been tempted in every way as we are. He knows our sufferings, our temptations, our griefs. And yet he can also perfectly represent God to us because he is God's own son. He offers a sacrifice not for his own sins, but a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Through him we can come to God with confidence. Confidence to find mercy and grace in our time of need. Human leaders will let us down. Religious leaders will let us down. Some are false teachers who are trying to lead us astray. Keep testing everything you hear against God's word. Others are faithful, but at the end of the day, they're only human. They're limited and weak. Only Jesus is the one who will never let us down. He's the only one who's available 24-7. Through him, we can find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Which brings us to our last kind of leader. The people will need a true <coughs> prophet. Moses is about to die. He's been the mediator going between God and the people. And he's also been the prophet, the one who brings God's word to God's people when they need to hear it. Who will call them to obey God's word? When Moses is dead, it would be tempting for them to turn to other ways to get that guidance from the Lord. And that's what Moses warns them not to do in chapter 18 from verse 9. They're not to practice divination or tell fortunes or interpret omens. They're not to consult with the dead through mediums. These would all be ways that the nations around them seek guidance. But this would be turning away from the Lord to find answers for themselves. God will provide guidance for the people when they need it. Look in verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when he said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. God will raise up a prophet like Moses for his people. A prophet who will go between them and the Lord like Moses did at Mount Sinai. When the people realised they were in great danger hearing directly from the Lord. The Lord will speak to his prophet and the people must obey him. And if they don't, the Lord will hold them to account. God did send many prophets to his people. Prophets like Elijah and Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah. 
Many prophets who came to warn the people of God's judgment for their breaking of the covenant, to call them to repent and obey the Lord. And these were faithful, long-suffering prophets. Prophets who gave much in obedience to the Lord and service of God's people. And yet none of them lived up to Moses. God's people were still waiting for a prophet like Moses. So God sent them a prophet better than Moses. You can probably guess who that is. Again, let me turn to Hebrews. This time, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as his son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in his hope, in our hope. Jesus is a prophet like Moses. The one Moses predicted. Peter says the same thing in Acts chapter 3. But the author of Hebrews is saying something more here. Jesus is not just a prophet like Moses. He is a prophet better than Moses. Moses is a servant who met with God on the mountain and brought God's word to his people. Jesus is the son himself come to speak with God's people. Moses asked to see God's glory, but to see Jesus is to see God's glory for ourselves, the glory as of the only Son from the Father. Jesus is the better prophet the people were waiting for. Do you want to hear from God? Do you want to know what He's like? Do you want guidance? Look no further than Jesus. There is no greater revelation to come. He is the pinnacle. He is God himself revealed to us in all his glory. Human prophets and leaders will disappoint us. And yet it's so easy for us to get caught up, right? Even to get caught up with good, solid Christian teachers and lose sight of the one that they are pointing to. Jesus is the true prophet. The one who reveals God, who goes between us and God, there is no greater than him. Look to Jesus. Trust in him. Listen to what he says and obey. He is the true prophet that God has given to his people. God's people, they longed for good leaders. Moses gave them guidelines to show they needed good leaders who love the Lord, obey his law and reflect his holiness. But human leaders will only ever disappoint. These laws were always meant to point further. To show that they and we need the just judge who will one day judge the living and the dead and bring true justice forever. We need the good king who has given all, been given all authority in heaven and on earth to establish his rule in us and one day to set all things right forever. We need the faithful priest who is wholehearted and faithful in his love for God and who offers, <coughs> offers a perfect sacrifice, not for his own sin but for ours. We need the true prophet who is God the Son himself, come to reveal God to us in all his glory, so we might know him in confidence and hope. 
We long for good leaders. We need Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this part of your word. The way that it points us to the Lord Jesus, the just judge who will bring perfect justice forever. The good king who is establishing his rule in us. We do ask, Lord, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, the faithful priest who offers a sacrifice for our sins so that we might come to you with confidence to find mercy and grace. And the prophet who reveals you to us perfectly. Please help us to not trust in human leaders. Not to put them on a pedestal or act as if they will solve all our problems. But instead to look to Jesus in hope and to trust in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.